Here's the thing. We're talking about money, and you have to understand something. I get nervous as a pastor talking with you about money because, like you, um, the last thing I want to do is be pressured to give. So that's not happening, even though we're asking people to give the dollar club. Hopefully you can tell by the $1 amount, it's not about getting a lot of stuff. What we want to do is have a conversation right from God's Word about what God has to say about the money He blesses us with. Now, I grew up in a, in a lower middle class home when I was younger. My dad made some money a little bit later on, but when I was younger, we didn't have a lot. I remember being in second grade, and my teacher, was, we were just kind of learning basic math stuff, and she looked at me one day in class. She said, Ben, if you had $5 and you ask your dad for five more dollars, how much money would you have? And I said to her, $5. She said, no, 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 no. You have $5 and you ask your dad for five more dollars. How much money? I said, I would have $5. She said, I don't think you understand this math thing. I said, I don't think you understand my dad. All right, that's the way this rolls, okay? We're not talking so much about giving today. We're talking about managing. And I'm going to be honest with you. I wish that the things we're going to talk about today were things that I had understood when I was 25 years old. Now that I'm 30, I really wish, <laughs> I really wish that I had understood these things much earlier. So let, let me just kind of identify a couple of elephants in the room. Uh, some of you are very young. Maybe you're in the front end of your marriage. Maybe you're single. Maybe you're in high school. I'm just telling you that God's word is packed full of wisdom about money. And you can today begin fresh. Because you don't have the history like a lot of us in the, in the room do. You can take some of the principles we're going to talk about over the next few weeks, and you can literally be wise with your money from the beginning point. Some of you are older like me, a little past 30, and, and you really wish you could roll back time. Well, you can't do that, but what we can do is we can start fresh today engaging God's Word and the principles about money that are contained in there and in doing that, we can honor, if you're a follower of Jesus, you can honor God with your money. If you're not a follower of Jesus, you can still benefit from the wisdom of God's word. And so what we want to do is just create a guilt-free, stress-free place to talk about money. Maybe you've heard the phrase that money can't buy happiness. That's actually a, an idea or a concept that the scriptures would support. But like a, a comedian I heard recently said, he said, I heard him say this, that while money can't buy happiness, he's never seen somebody frowning while riding a jet ski. All right? That's what, that's what he said about that. So what we want to do today when we talk about not the money we're given to a church, but the money that God blesses us with the ability to make, or somebody has blessed you with that, what we want to do is we want to maximize that for, and it, this is an okay concept, for our joy. As long as you understand that money isn't the ultimate value in life, if you're a follower of Jesus, often money can conflict with the work of God in your life. But at the same time, what God wants for us is that money would be for us a source, a source of joy. Now, a big part of what I do in my job week in, week out is I talk to people. And I will tell you, just casual observation, I haven't kept any type of scientific statistics on this, but I would tell you that in our church and in the larger community in which I operate, it's rare for me to hear people say that the money dynamic in my home produces in my home joy. That's rare. Now, it happens. 
but it typically happens to those people who have been putting in practice the kinds of things we're going to talk about. So if money has, in your home, created some angst, anxiety, argument, fear, worry, you would be normal. You also would not be experiencing what God wants you to experience. So what I'm going to share with you is five things I wish I had known when I was 25 about money. A couple of them will be obvious to you. Some of the others may not because you may not understand today all that God's word has to say about money. But before we jump into these five things, I want to make a little observation. Simply up here on the screen, it's the concept that I want is greater than I owe. I want is greater than I owe. This is a little concept that I have in my mind when I like to talk and think about money. I have desires. I like stuff. I like big TVs and tools. Those things don't cost $1. They cost multiple dollars. I like stuff. I like experiences. I like to spend money on entertaining me and my family and my friends. I like, I want a lot of stuff. And the challenge happens in my life, the challenges on money get compounded in my life when my wants begin to eclipse the idea that I'm going to have to pay for those experiences. Because in our society today, we've made it very easy for people's wants to get met in the moment, and we delay the pain of the moment in paying for it until later, such that many of us discover the little principle I'm trying to point out with that little greater than sign, that our wants eclipse the reality we're going to have to pay for satisfying those wants. And there is often the root of our challenges. In fact, today, I'm going to be primarily addressing people who have experienced what I'm talking about up here, like I have, that my wants have gotten carried away. Now, I know that in this room, some of us are in financial challenges because we simply don't have much income or something catastrophic happened in our life and we now have to pay for it. And we didn't anticipate that. It really isn't necessarily our fault, right? And so that happens too. There are going to be principles for that. But for many of us in this room, the reason why there's some emotional stress around money is because our wants in the moment were satisfied and it eclipsed the reality that we're going to have to pay for those things eventually. We swiped plastic. We borrowed from a friend. We satisfied in the moment and put off the pain of paying. Now, here's another reality I wrestle with before we get into our five things I wish I had learned. It's a simple question that I like to think about. This question begins to change the tone of conversation. It's a question that if most Americans were asking it today, most Americans would be in a radically different place. Here's a question. What percentage of your income do you live on? Now, in America today, there's a lot of us, there's a lot of us in this room who actually live on about 107% of our income. Now, there's a challenge there. There's a challenge there because eventually you hit a brick wall when you live on more than you make, when you spend more than you make. And one of the keys to begin wrestling with how do I experience joy in my money? How do I get God's heart for me on money that it would bring joy in my life? That I'd be able to bless myself, the ones I love, and the world with the money that he's blessed me with. How do I experience that? Is you have to wrestle with this idea of what percentage of your income do you live on? 
You don't have to show any hands. Do you even know the answer to that question? Do you even know the answer to that question? I think it's the beginning point of getting a handle on your money. If you feel like money is this big gaping hole of a a, a dynamic that I don't understand, it's a stressor and I've avoided it, let me tell you the beginning point. It's right here in this question. Do you know how much of your income you're spending? Now, these are two ideas that I can meet my wants in the moment and delay the pain. And many of us have a tendency to spend more than we make. These two big ideas, if you can relate to them at all, or maybe you're a parent in the room and you're still helping out one of your adult children who hasn't wrestled with these ideas, I want to give you five big ideas Five big things that I wish I would have known when I was 25. And then we're going to look to God's word, how it speaks directly into this. And the whole point today is to begin a conversation that we're going to continue for a few weeks. Not too long, but for a few weeks. And then we're going to give you an opportunity to deal with this dramatically and directly. And for some of you, it's literally going to change your life. I can say that with confidence because every time we've ever done a money series here and we help people deal with not the money they give to the church, but the money they live on, the money they save, the money they do life with, every time we've given people to do that and they engage that opportunity, literally it changes their life. And not just theirs, their kids. It affects the tone of their marriage. The stakes with your money are high. And God who loves you wants you to experience joy with it. And here's a few ways you can begin to do that. So, five things I wish I would have known. Number one, when it comes to money, God doesn't need anything from me. He wants something for me. When it comes to money, here's my idea. I think because when I grew up, here's what my dad would do on Sunday morning. He would lay out four $1 bills. There were four children in our family. And he would say, this is your offering to give today. And then when we would make money, my dad would say, all right, you made 10 bucks mowing a lawn. One of those belongs to God. So I just kind of grew up knowing that God expected some of my money. And in my church growing up, we weren't very sensitive when we would engage the issue of money. Our pastor would get up and his goal was to preach us guilty. And he was very good at it. And he was very good at it. And so he would preach us guilty on money, and we would write the checks. Now, all good, good good-hearted, but that was kind of the method. And so when when I came into adulthood, the discipline that had been provided for me was now my responsibility to think through, carry through. And while I had some discipline provided for me, I hadn't explored the deeper issues. What's really going on? Ben, what's going on in your heart? How do you think God thinks about money? What does God really want to do with money? And then I'm married, and we don't make a lot of money at that time, and we've learned to live with that reality, and so we started spending. And then our friends would go out to eat, and we'd go out to eat, and we'd want to take a trip, and we needed a car, and life happened, and we had a kid, and wanted to buy a house, and it was very late into my marriage, really, and I'm already starting to do ministry, that on a personal level, I started wrestling what is, with the idea of what is God's heart with money. And, and here it is. I thought God wanted something from me. And I didn't realize that when God talks about money, here's his heart. He doesn't want it from you. He wants it for you. 
So when God talks directly about money, and you may not know this, but Jesus spoke more about money than any other topic in the New Testament. Why? Because he wants you to write the check? Because he wants you to give until it hurts? Or is there something else in the heart of God? Now, this is an issue if you attend Four Corners, I deal with a lot. What do we think about God? Because how we think about God has a dramatic impact on how we live our lives with and for God. So I want to challenge you. What do you think God thinks about you and money? Does he just want something for you? Is he there in the corner going, pay up, bro, pay up? And you you couple that idea, that misunderstanding, with the idea that a lot of us tend to walk in guilt anyway. Maybe the way we were raised. Maybe some religious experiences we've had. Maybe we know we don't have it all put together. There's guilt and shame. And it's real easy then to come to an emotional topic like money and miss the heart of God. To switch subjects real quick, people miss the heart of God on something like sexuality. God is trying to prevent me from having fun, experiencing all that I want experiencing and getting the gusto out of life. So he created these crazy, um, archaic rules so that I wouldn't experience sexual joy. And so if I'm a Christian, no joy. I want to let you in on a secret, that there's a lot of joy that God means for us to have in sexuality. And the same heart of God there is that operation in money. Now, I put those two things together, and here's what might be interesting to you. As a pastor, here's what I have found, that money is such an emotional topic to talk about that people would rather talk to me about their private sex lives than to talk to me about their money. It's more private than their sexual lives. And this is what Jesus was trying to get to when he says that where your treasure is, there is your heart also. Money touches to the core of our fears, our hopes, our dreams, our insecurities. And many of us, because of that, we think that if we just get enough money, we will then be secure. And we overextend some of what money can actually do for us. So one more time, when it comes to money, I wish I would have known that God doesn't need anything from me, but he wants something for me. This would have given me freedom then to engage God's ideas about money much more receptively, much more open to actually considering it, but even more than considering it, actually starting to operate according to some of the plans that become clear in the scripture that we're going to explore over the next few weeks. So some of you today, I'm just trying to get you to think through, what do you think God thinks about you and money? And if there's some angst in that, I'm going to help you. But it begins by you turning a switch God doesn't want from me, he wants for me. God is for my good, he's for my joy. He gives me a pathway to get there that's actually better for me. It's better for my marriage, it's better for my kids, it's better for my life. But because we are often in the moment, evaluating the moment greater than the later, it's hard for us to see that. The other reason why sometimes it's hard for us to see that is some of us just haven't been exposed to this. We just haven't really explored the scripture. That's why I want to encourage you to, as you have today, start this conversation with us, but then let's continue it for a few weeks. Don't stop this conversation prematurely. 
Because at 25, had I known that God really wanted something for me, I think I might would have dived in deeper in some of the mistakes that Jill and I made that have cost us momentum, that are actually robbing us of joy, keeping us from doing some of the very things we would love to do, that we feel called to do. We may not would have done that. So that's the first one. God wants something for you, not from you. That's his primary heart. Number two. Now this is a big one. That God's plan for me and money keeps the stuff I own from owning me. God's plan for money revealed in the scripture keeps the stuff that I own from owning me. So there are places in the Bible where, where, where the, the writer of Proverbs, for instance, the wisdom book of the Bible, uh, Old Testament, he says this, that the, the borrower is a slave to the lender. And in many ways, it unpacks the danger of debt. Now, that was all in the Bible that I carried and I was studying. But because I had some emotional stuff going on, because I wasn't mature enough in the moment to put my immediate wants behind the reality that I was going to have to pay for them, I ignored some of that. And like a lot of you, I got in the habit of swiping credit cards that got easier and easier to get. And there was a period of time when I was in seminary that Jill and I would get a credit card to pay for credit cards. And I know nobody in this room has ever done anything like that. And the reason we did is that we didn't realize that there was a way to get stuff where the stuff that you thought was going to bring you joy actually began to own you. And so God, because he loves us, because he's a heavenly father who cares about us, and again, you may not think about God and money in these terms. It's just his heart for you, though, because he cares for us. Here's what he says. I don't want the stuff you own to own you. I don't want, for instance... That meal that you put on that credit card because you wanted to go out, because you were stressed, because you were tired, you needed a date night anyway, and you went out with your wife, and you guys went a little more than you should have anyway. You didn't have money to pay for it, but you went and swiped the I don't want you to pay for that meal three years from now. It's Christmas coming up. You know, you're right. We're not that far away. I hate to be the bearer of bad news. It's happening again every year. You know it. And God loves us enough where he says, look, I know you want great stuff for your kids, and I want great stuff for your kids. But your culture is telling you the way you give great stuff to your kids is you get them more stuff. God says, I don't want you to simply walk down that path without thinking about it. Be cautious, because if you're not careful, the Christmas that you pay for this year with plastic, you may still be paying for next Christmas. Be careful. That gas you put in your car in your car and swipe the plastic. You spent it. It all was gone in a week, but you're still paying for it. You had every intention to let it go. And so God says, here's his heart. Listen, if we can understand his heart, it just makes it easier to walk in the path he defines. If you believe he's good for you, it makes it easier to hear the hard truth he might need to speak. God's heart is, don't let the stuff you think you own own you. This is very easy to do. You've seen it. Some of you parents, you've watched your adult kids do this. Can I tell you the challenge? Some of us have given our kids such a good standard of living, but we haven't taught them about money. Many of them have never been challenged on God's heart about money, so then we release them into the world, and it's very difficult because the standard of living we've given them is very difficult to maintain. And they know how they can do it because in the moment, it's actually quite easy to maintain it. 
swipe, swipe, borrow from you. But eventually it catches up with them. All right. So when I was 25, had I known that God wanted stuff for me, not from me, had I realized that what he was trying to do was to keep the stuff that I thought was bringing me joy from actually tearing me down, I think it might would have made a difference. Now, now I'm going to get a little bit more technical here on this third one. All right, here's our third one. At 25, I wish I would have understood this, that my standard of living does not equal my quality of life. I begin to understand that while I can raise my standard of living with debt, I can only raise the quality of my life with discipline. You following me? Standard of living does not equal quality of life. I grew up through high school in the 80s. They were the best decade. I am so waiting for big hair and funky sweaters to come back. You know, I, I am just, it's going to be good. I've kept all my stuff. I'm ready to break it out the moment the culture turns. But there was a downside to the 80s. They call it the greed decade. And there was a famous speech by a famous movie, Wall Street, where Gordon Gekko, the character, gives a talk and he says, greed is good. And everybody knew he was wrong, but internally we were kind of going, I think you might have a point there. And the cars you drove and the kind of houses you lived in, to be in, to have arrived, began to shift. And we had some technology advances and people were making money hand over fist and and we begin to think, as a culture, that our standard of living somehow equaled our quality of life. And here's why we were able to do it for so long. We were just putting off the inevitable of paying for that. It was much easier to buy the house, buy, notice the word we use, than to pay for the house. See, I own a house, but let's be honest, I don't own it. The bank does. I'm paying for it. But I don't think about that when I'm signing the documents. I, mean, I think about it a little, but not too much. Right? And then, and then here's another thing. Well, if I pay my house over 30 years, the payment is this little. So much more little than if I try to squeeze it in and pay it in at 15 years. And because 30 years seems so long away from a guy, you know, in his early, late 20s, early 30s, we'll just go for the longer payment. We'll just put that off more. Because I wanted the biggest house I could get. Because I believed that my quality of life was somehow tied to my standard of living. And then I bought the culture that I could raise my standard of living with debt. I could eat out better. We could see more movies. We could go on better breaks. But as I've gotten older, I begin to understand that you actually raise the quality of your life with discipline. And this is hard anyway, isn't it? None of us like that word. And here we are now, we're talking about money, which is emotional. And some of us are already feeling ashamed. You're already like going, God, I wish I would have. And now we're talking about a very another uh, subject that's incredibly emotional. Discipline. And yet the truth is, is nobody's quality of life was raised simply because their standard of living was raised. And if it was, it's very difficult for you to manage that at all anyway. But what you and I can manage, I did not realize this when I was 25, is I can actually manage my discipline to control my debt. 
I wish I would have known that. I wish I'd have known that in God's word, those principles were right there, and they weren't just there. I knew that, but they actually had an immediate application to my life. I wish I would have known that God's heart for me was to consume his word so that it would actually increase the quality of my life. Now, I didn't know that that was God's heart for me. And because of that, I didn't engage it fully. And because I had other things like I want, I want, I want speaking into my life. I gave up the discipline that I had exercised in other areas of life and I did not apply it to my finances. Don't raise your hand, but I'm wondering if anybody can relate to that at all. Now, I'm approaching, you know, midlife. I don't know what you think midlife is, but I'm not quite there. And next year, I will not be quite there. Ten years from now, I won't be quite there to the mid. I just can't accept that, all right? But now that I am, I'm realizing more and more that discipline actually becomes the pathway to quality of life, not simply raising my standard of living. Number four. Here's the fourth thing I wish I'd have known. Again, let's just, just track with me. Because my time is limited, I know I have to limit time. I, I know that. I don't have all the time in the world. It's obvious. I was just joking about it a moment ago. It's obvious I don't have all the time in the world. My clock is ticking. But I know that about time. I know that dynamic. I have to limit my time. I have to redeem the time. I have to make precious the moments I have with my kids while they're still at home. I get the time dynamic. It's a limited resource. So I have to manage it. And the older I get, the easier that gets. But I lie to myself and I hurt myself when I think, that money, like time, is limited. I get that. But then I go, but with money, I can just borrow more. So, so see what we do? You can understand, maybe, that time is limited. It's running out. But it's in our culture, at least, it's very easy to go, and money's limited too, but I have access to more money. When I feel the tension, I just go get more. You can't do that with time. When your time's up, you're up, baby. I mean, you're done. But with money, you run to the end, and it seems as if there's always a way to get more, and we just delay. I already referenced that there was a period of time when Jill and I were running thin, and we were doing good stuff. We were justifying it all in our minds. I mean, I was in seminary preparing for ministry, my goodness. And we hit the wall, and then in the mail, miraculously, God answered our prayers. No interest for 12 months. Wow, thank you, Lord, for answering our prayers. Right? Do you see how we do that? Maybe you've never done anything like that. But the challenge is, is that time really cannot be extended. And truthfully, money cannot either. It's an illusion that debt extends our money limits. That's an illusion. It's actually, let, let me be a little more stark with it. It's actually a lie. And I don't know if you know this or not, but every lie has its source in the enemy of God. Lies are meant to put you on a path for destruction. And they're crafted in a way that you don't understand what the end result is as you're engaging the first few steps. I wish at 25, I would have known that. Here's the fifth thing I wish I would have known. I wish I would have just gone ahead and wrestled with this, that creating financial margin in my life will in fact lower my standard of living. It's going to be not Outback, but steaks from Kroger. All right, big difference. It's actually going to lower my standard of living, but it's going to increase the quality of my life. 
I wish I would have just embraced that at 25. I may not drive the best and newest car. I have an available credit limit of X number of dollars to buy this vehicle. So let's just spend it all and get the biggest and the best. That's the way I operated. But I wish I would have just went ahead and embraced the fact that if I had left a little room there, didn't take advantage of all that was in front of me, while I may have driven a less cool, hip, whatever, sexy car. I was already married. I don't know what I'm looking for sexy cars for anyway. I, I would have, over time, increased the quality of my life as I did not extend myself into my financial margin. Now, let's talk about financial margin for a minute. Financial margin is, is how much money you have left over after everything that you need to do is done. And joy in money is found in financial margin. It's found in financial margin. Creating margin and enjoying the margin. Now, just, just so you uh, un- understand... Here's my heart for you on this. I want us, over the next few weeks, to have some honest conversations. And to do that, I felt like I needed to at least tell you a little bit about my history. That I was really living three almost universal financial realities. See if you can relate to these three almost universal money realities. Here's the first one. That you're living on a percentage of your income. It's 90% or 80 or maybe 60, or maybe it's 107. And you think that if you had a little bit more, things would be fine, just like I did. Number two, you think, number two, you think if you had a little bit more, things would be fine. If I could just earn a little bit more, if my uncle could go ahead and die. I'm laughing a little bit with you, but the truth is that some of us, I've heard this at my desk in that room right over there, What's your plan for retirement? Oh, I have an uncle, and he's got some money, and I just cannot, they won't won't go quite that far, right? I don't have to worry about that. I've had people tell me, Ben, I literally, one guy told me, I'm a trust fund baby. I don't really have to worry about that stuff. Because it's not about how much money you make. It's about the attitude and the discipline you bring to it. Most of us think if we have just, do you remember some of you, do you remember when you made your first $20,000 a year? Some of you are like, 20, that's so little. Yeah, I remember my first 20,000. And I remember thinking, if I could make 25, Jill and I would be on easy street. I mean, life would be golden, baby. I'd be living, you know, high on the hog. But here's the thing. Number one, you live on a percentage of your income. You think if you had a little bit more, things would be fine. Number three, you felt the same way when you made a lot less than you make right now. In fact, some of you, your ideal Income, when you first thought about this stuff, was $10,000 a year less than you're making right now, and you haven't experienced any more joy or any more margin. Here's why, here's why. Because your financial dream is free, baby. It's free. But the hustle to go after it, that's sold separately. The dream is free. The hustle is sold separately. And that requires work. This is what Jesus was trying to get to in Luke chapter 16. Let's look at a handful of verses because some of you are like, I'm in church. What's he, he hasn't got to the Bible yet. I've been doing Bible the whole time. Applied theology. Let's find a few passages that relate to it, all right? Luke 16, here's what it says. Jesus speaking. So if you have a Bible open there in red, all right? Whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much. And whoever is dishonest with very little will also be dishonest with much. So he's in the middle of a financial conversation. 
So then he says, if you've not been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, who will trust you with true riches? And half the crowd goes, well, I've never stolen from anybody. And almost as if Jesus can feel that, he says he's going to drill down. Because the point wasn't steal or not steal. It was a different point. Verse 12. So just the very next verse. I'm not interpreting these. I'm just reading them. And if you have not been trustworthy with someone else's property, who will give you property of your own? Now Jesus gets to the heart of the matter, of God's idea about money and you. He wants something for you, not from you. He wants to bless you. He wants to bring you joy. But here's something that has to be embraced. If you're a follower of Jesus, this is not optional. If you're a not a follower of Jesus, you can ignore me, okay? Because it doesn't really apply to you. At least not in a way that matters. So Christians, yes. Everybody else, ignore me, all right? The stuff that is your stuff, it's not your stuff. It's God's. Everything you own, everything you possess, including the breath you breathe, is on loan to you from God. And the big uber idea in money that God wants us to understand as a path to joy is that we are managers of his stuff. And like every good owner, he tells us how to manage his stuff, and then he trusts us to do it. And so in this point, the point he's making is, it's not whether you steal or not, it's that can you be trusted to manage the stuff your father, your heavenly father, has blessed you with? Your life, which includes your finances. And then he says, let me tell you how high the stakes are and what's really at stake here. Verse 13 of chapter 16. This is a cosmic struggle. It runs to the core of who we are. No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, You'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. And then Jesus dives deeply into the idea that money will compete for the role of God in your life. It's easy to make money your God. It's easy to make the quest for money the thing that consumes all of your time. He doesn't want us to do that because money makes an incredible gift of blessing. It makes a horrible God it's a bad idol. And in the 80s, it became the idol. Maybe it always was, and we just kind of gave into it. I want to remind you one more time that your heavenly Father loves you. He doesn't need anything from you, but with money, he wants something for you. Are you getting what he wants for you? Is it bringing you joy? So I have some homework for you. Don't take out your cards yet. Just look. I got five things that you can think about. Now, they're going to be hard. So we're going to help you do it as a church. We're going to help you, all right? Number one, decide. I'm not going to live my way anymore with money. That God's in charge. His way is first. We're going to move towards, we're going to take steps towards his way. This is a decision I'd like for you to make today. It's a decision that I'm going to help you over the next few weeks. Walk out. God's way first. We're going to start with his way. If we're not in his way, we're going to change to his way. We're going to move towards his way. Number two, I want to help you create some margin, a margin goal. That is, what percentage do you want to live on? Here's all that you take in. That's 100. I'd like to lower your live-on number, the percent you live on. I'd like to get you down to about 75% or more. N number three, I want to ask you for just a few minutes. 
to think about this. What if you spied on your money for the next 60 days? Do you even know where all your money is going? I'm going to help you, give you some tools to do that. I'm going to ask you number four, and this is going to take, this is going to be hard. Cut some spending. Go ahead and start cutting spending as we engage this conversation. Number five, I want you to identify a debt retirement plan. Here's the mountain of debt that tends to own. Let's identify a plan. Now, that's hard to do on your own. So what we're going to do as a church, we're going to engage an incredible tool that is out there. It's called Financial Peace University. Some of you have listened to Dave Ramsey on the radio. I'm a big fan. I kind of like shock radio anyway. And so, like, I'll be listening to Dave Ramsey and he'll tell somebody, just shut up, just shut up. With that country thing, and it kind of sounds nice. I don't know how he gets away with that. Just shut up. That's just dumb. You know, you've heard him if you've heard but But what he does is he gives people practical tools, and honestly, in a gentle and kind but straightforward way. And he calls out the dysfunction. As a church, we're going to give you an opportunity to do that. And as a way of setting you up for that, I'd like you to turn your eyes to the screen for about a minute and a half. Now, imagine if you and your spouse, if you're married, or if you're single, you and your, you're on the same page with money, and you're not arguing about who spent what, and, but you actually have a page that you're working from, a set of goals. Now, if that's not where you are, the truth is, is you need to take advantage of financial peace. That's not me being mean to you. I want you to experience what God wants for you, that money becomes a source of joy when it's operated according to God's plan. Financial peace will help you do that. We're going to offer it on Wednesdays beginning the first Wednesday in September. We're trying to remove every barrier so child care is going to be offering. And you'll have to kick in a little bit of money to be a part of it. We're not paying that for everybody. People are like, oh, I'm upside down. Why do I have to pay? Because if you put in a little bit of money, you will be emotionally vested. And I have learned over time, if I just give people opportunities, they may or may not. But if they sincerely want it and they'll make a bit of an investment, then we as a church partner with them in that investment, then together we make a major change. So I want you to seriously consider, you have a few weeks to do that, but today in our next steps, you can actually begin to sign up for financial peace. If you'll check the box, you'll get the information. And that's our segue right now for us taking out our connect cards and let's take some steps together as a congregation. Now, every week, next step A for us is the exact same step. 
And we want to give people a chance to accept Jesus into their life, to let him be their Lord and Savior. Or we can use a different set of words. He's the forgiver of their sins and their mistakes, and he becomes the leader of their life. Maybe you've never thought about the fact that God has a good heart towards you, that he doesn't, he's never had an evil thought about you. He's never wanted anything other than your peace, your joy, your contentment, but he doesn't want you to believe the lie that those can be found outside of a relationship with him. So he invites you to have a relationship with him. And our next step A right there, which you can take your pen and check, simply says, today I'm going to make Jesus my Savior and Lord. If that's where you are, check the box. And in a moment, I'm going to pray. You can use my words. You can use your own. We're going to look to God and say, God, would you forgive me? I'm a sinner. I accept what you've done through Jesus, your son, as he gave his life on a cross and was resurrected from a tomb to secure a relationship with you. God, I want Jesus to lead my life then I ask you to take that card that has your email and that check mark and put it in the offering bucket and we'll communicate with you this week and we won't ask you for money. We just want to give you some information about what it means to follow Jesus. Or next step, be there on your card. You can see it's already in ink. It says, today I'm choosing to be baptized. That's the first thing we ask people to do after they check next step A is to just let people know I'm with Jesus. It's a new day for me. It's a fresh start. And we celebrate that here as a family that wants to encourage one another in the right direction. Here, here's next step C that I want you to think about. Some of us could pray about our money, and so here's a prayer. God, I have some growing to do in the area of my finances. So if that's you, you already go ahead and check the box. Here, here's the rest of that prayer. Help me to trust you so I can joyfully follow your plan for me and money. God, I got some growing to do. I want to trust you all the way in this. And I want the joy that Ben's been talking about when it comes to money, because it's not really been that. Well, to do that, you're going to have to have some discipline. Maybe some of that discipline begins with prayer. Or here's next step D. Maybe it's this one. Send me the link to sign up for Financial Peace University. So on Monday, when these go out, you'll get a link. You'll sign up. And we'll send you a, a, a pathway to get the little workbook you're going to purchase. And then we will provide the location and child care for you. And on Wednesday nights, for a couple of hours, over nine weeks, if you're married, you need to do this together. You're busy. I know you are. I know you're busy. My kids have soccer. I know it. But the greatest gift you can give your family is healthy, vibrant relationship between husband and wife. You need to get on the same page. Make a sacrifice to do this. You will not regret it. How about next step E? Who would say this? All right. I don't know about financial peace, but for the next three weeks, I'm going to be for here, here for We Are Rich. We are, be here as we dig down and we create a safe place to talk about a very emotional topic. Let's pray about these things right now. Father, I want to thank you for the grace of God that has been at work in my personal finances. God, you have forgiven my stupidity, my foolishness, my immaturity, my lack of discipline. And beyond just forgiving, you have, you have directed me to your word that gives me pretty bold and direct pathways out of the mess that I created. Thank you, God. Thank you for being good. Now, Lord, I want to pray for my brothers and sisters in this room. Without knowing all their stories, I know what tends to happen with money. It is not a source of joy. It's a source of, 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 of discontent. It produces arguments. It keeps us awake at night. There's fear there. So, God, I pray 
that we would embrace your heart and your plan and fear would come down. Peace would replace worry. We'd have a plan and we'd have discipline. God, I want to pray for those that are declaring, Jesus, be my Savior. Wash away my sins. I commit my life to you. I will follow you. Lord, as a church, as we tackle what is really, I believe, the number one competitor for your place in our hearts, I pray that you would protect this congregation as we aggressively advance against the lies of the enemy. I pray, God, as we tackle idols of money and stuff, that you would embolden us by your Holy Spirit. And we would see the shackles come off of marriages, off of families, off of single adult people. We give all this to you and we ask it in the strong and holy name of Jesus. Amen and amen.